Everybody has a longing inside their heart to do something great. Everybody has this desire to do something that matters or to do something significant. Every child looks up, every little boy, every little girl looks up at somebody and says, when I grow up, I want to be like them. So if you're familiar with the sports world, how many of you are sports fans? How many of you are sports fans? Okay, okay, how many of you are not? I mean, like most of you are. Okay, seven of you aren't. I'm sorry. Okay, the rest of us are going to talk for a minute. If you're a sports fan, you probably have heard the phrase, you know, the GOAT, right? Anybody know what the GOAT is? The greatest of all time. That's right. That's the GOAT. And so uh, you see in different sports, this guy or this lady, they're not just the best in this game. They didn't just win a medal. They didn't just win a trophy. They didn't just win a championship. They didn't just win several championships. They are the greatest of all time. They're the greatest that has ever put the shoes on, ever put the helmet on, ever went on the court, ever went in the ring. They're the greatest that the world has ever known. And so some people that come to mind when you think about that is Michael Jordan or uh, Jim Thorpe for some of you that can, how many of you remember Jim Thorpe? Jim Thorpe, some of you, yes, all right, Jim Thorpe. Uh, Bo Jackson, Muhammad Ali, just passed away recently. Babe Ruth, Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, if you're in the golf world, Roger Federer, if you like tennis, Michael Phelps just kept crushing those gold medals, uh, Usain Bolt, you know, fastest man that ever lived. And so these people are, are called the GOAT because they're the greatest people who ever did what they did. Nobody's ever done it quite like they did it. Now, these people are the greatest of all time in their area because, think about it, they're just like the rest of us, except they're the best. <laughs> they're exactly like the rest of us. They need food. They need sleep. They need water. They need rest. When they get sick, they need medicine. When they break a limb, they got to stop and they got to heal. They get lonely. They get tired. They're exactly like the rest of us. They just happen to be like really awesome at one thing. But they're just like the rest of us outside of that. They are human in every way. Now, when you talk about God, you can't, because I think we get confused about greatness and fame and money and all these things that seem to have a star level to us. But when you talk about God, see, he's not in the category of any goat. God is so great, and he's nothing like us. He has a category by himself. He fits in a category alone because he's not like us. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need water. He doesn't need sleep. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get distracted. He doesn't get sick. None of those things are true about God. God is in a category all by himself. God is so great, the Bible never attempts to even explain his existence. The number one assumption in the entire Bible is that God is. He exists. He's there. Look at all 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. You'll never find one explanation on why God exists. Like, God, He just is. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, God. Time out. What do you mean in the beginning, God? Where did God come from? Never tells us. 
Nowhere in the Bible never explains it. He didn't come from anywhere because he just is. Who made God? Nobody made God. God just is. God was before the beginning because he is bigger than time. I don't know if you caught this story recently, but the Hubble telescope that was sent up into space years ago has just recently uh, uh, grabbed the largest picture of space humankind has ever seen. Just a small deal. And NASA has recently released that picture. It's the biggest picture ever taken. It's an image of the Andromeda galaxy, which is a, a, a galaxy neighbor of our galaxy, the Milky Way. And I wanted to show you the picture this morning. You can, you can look and see it. You see the burst of light and see all the little dots? I, I, if you had a, a high-resolution screen, somebody actually sent me a text after first service, one of our tech people, and said, you would have to have 60 uh, 1080 screens to capture this picture in total. That's, that's how much resolution you would need. But if you can see all these little dots, all these, what you can't see maybe is behind it what looks just sort of like white or fog. Those are all layers and layers and layers of stars. Each tiny dot is a star that could have its own solar system. Don't even bother trying to count. There's over 100 million. So one, two, no, don't, don't, don't do it. Over 100 million. Now, it takes about eight minutes for sunlight to arrive, to travel from the sun to the earth. It takes about eight minutes. Do you know how long it would take light to travel from where this picture was taken to earth? Try 2.5 million years. 2.5 million years. There are so many stars in this picture. NASA equated it to doing a slow motion film on the beach and zooming in on each grain of sand. That's what this picture's like. It's the biggest picture we've ever had. Isaiah 40:12 says, "Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. God is in a category by himself because he creates things like that. There are some things that only God can do. And that's what this series is about we're calling this series Only God. And so in this series, we're going to talk about what are some of the things that only God can do. Here's the first one today, and the next three weeks, we'll be sharing a different thing that only God can do. Here's today. Only God calls you for His purposes. Only God calls you for His purposes. No organization, no leader, no artist, no one can call you to God's purposes. When it dawns on you that God is in the universe and in the world and in the community, and when it dawns on you that He is there, busy, active, and working, and He wants you to work with Him. That's not a coincidence. It's not an impulse. It's not even a conclusion. 
When it dawns on you that God is working for His purposes on the earth and He wants you to work with Him, you have received communication from God. Because nobody else can call you to that but Him. No other organization, no other group. Over, over a year ago, God whispered to our hearts that He wants to do, He was doing renewal, a spiritual work of renewal in our church. And for over a year, we've been experiencing snapshots and flashes of that renewal. And something God always does during renewal is He calls people to His purposes. I want to give you an example. In the early 1800s, God was doing a renewing work in America, particularly in the New England area. In 1806, five college guys joined in a, uh, in a grove of trees uh, near Williams College in Massachusetts. And the reason that they gathered is they wanted to talk about and pray about, does God want us to send missionaries outside America to other parts of the world. They had a particular interest in Asia. And so they wanted to talk about it. Now that might sound strange to us, but in that time period, the majority of Christians on earth all believed that God didn't want to send missionaries anywhere. They believed that God was going to take care of the rest of the world himself, and what he wanted us to do is focus on what was in front of us. And so this wasn't a clear-cut discussion by these guys as much as we might think it would be today. So in 1806, they gather, they're discussing this, they're praying. An American missionary had never been sent outside of America before. And a storm moves in on top of these five guys as they're talking. And so they rush over and take shelter under a haystack, next to a haystack. And the storm moves out almost as quick as it came. And in those moments, hiding from the storm, praying and talking, they came to a conclusion that God was calling them to be and send missionaries all over the world. Now, here's what's important about that. Six years later, they sent the first American missionary ever to India. Fifty years later, they had sent... 1,250 missionaries, 50 years later, and had built hospitals and schools all over the world. And it all started with these five guys. In 1867, there was a monument placed near the college. You can see a picture of it to honor the five guys who prayed together for that little prayer meeting. This event is known as the Haystack Prayer Meeting. If you ever hear anybody talk about the haystack prayer meeting, that's where American missions started in 1806. Now, what's incredible about this is the leader of the group was a man named Samuel Mills, who you probably never even heard of. And these five men and the thousands of others heard God's call, and it was during a time of renewal. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. It's not that God calls us more during a time of renewal. It's that during a time of renewal, we hear better. God is always calling. God is always communicating. God is always wrestling with us for his purposes and for his good for his work. He's always contending with us. It's just when our spirits are more alive, when we're closer to God, we hear better. And when we're further from him, 
we are drowning in our own stuff and our own busyness and the own pace of society and the temporary and the temporal and the material and tomorrow and next week and next year and all of that. But God calls through it. Now, when God does renewal, what happens is we start to hear His call and we start to abandon other pursuits and we start to pursue more ferociously the eternal. We set our sights on the deeper, the longer lasting, and the eternal. This happened to a man in the Bible named Joseph. In this series, if you have the time in your own devotional time, if you want to go back and reread the entire story of Joseph, this entire series, we're going to be looking at what are those things that only God could do that he did in Joseph's life that he does in our life. And only God could call Joseph for his purposes. In Joseph's life, that happened in a dream. Now, before we read the dream, uh, let's talk a minute about Joseph's family, because that's the, that's the backdrop. Joseph had a very dysfunctional family. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, they were. Let's start with his dad, for example. Joseph's dad, Jacob, was a liar. He was a thief. He stole his older, older brother's birthright. He played favorites. He loved one of his wives more than the other. We don't even have time to talk about why he's got two wives. He loved one of his sons more than he loved the other ones. One of them was his favorite, and he wasn't shy about showing that. So you can imagine the problems that it caused. Joseph was 17. He was the baby boy at the time, and he was the favorite. Now, just stop right there for a minute. How many of you are the older brother or sister in your family? How many of you? Just lift it up. Okay. Yeah. You need to know something. You need to know how the rest of us see you. You are mean. Did you know that? You, you are straight up mean. How, how many of you have an older brother or sister that's mean? See, I told you. I'm telling you. It's the truth. Just plain out mean. Well, the firstborns can be rough, can't they? Say, all right, somebody never listened to anything I said, just listen. When I was a kid, I have an older sister, five and a half years older than me. She told me uh, once, I've got a surprise for you. Close your eyes. And me, just dumb as a tree. Okay. Give me your hand. Follow me. Just follow her. Step down. Move around. And I felt my hand touch the cold metal of the car. And then I felt something squishy on my fingers. She said, okay, you can open your eyes now. And I looked. She had mashed my hand down in bird poo poo. See what I mean? Just mean. Just mean. However, for full disclosure, a couple of weeks ago I was home seeing my family and somehow that story came up and my niece, who's her 26-year-old daughter, said, Oh yeah, yeah, mom, mom told that story. Do you know why she did that? Yeah, because she's mean. Oh, you know why she did that? No. 
because she said that you snitched on her for breaking the kitchen window out and she got in trouble and that's why she did it. And I went, oh, I forgot that. I didn't really remember. I didn't really remember that part. I forgot. I didn't know why that happened to me after all these years. So I just want you to realize this morning, when you hear Joseph's story, there's some serious problems working in the background in his family. Genesis 37, let's read about the dream he had, verse 5. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. Everybody loves to listen to the favorite child in the family, don't they? Don't you love to just listen to the spoiled brat just talk on and on and on? We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. How many of you think this is going to end well? His brother said to him, you can see them like, you see them cutting eyes at each other. He's fine. We, we knew it was coming. He finally lost it. He's finally lost it. Do you intend to reign over us? Because I don't know if you noticed, there's 11 of us and we're bigger and you're the baby. We'll kill you. Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Verse 9, then he had another dream. You would think he wouldn't tell this one, but no. Loaded with wisdom, dumb as a tree. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said. I had another dream. Oh, they can't wait. Everybody gather around. Spoiled Brad had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were... The sheaves aren't enough because they're just on the earth. Let's reach up into space and grab some planets. And let's have them bow down to me also. Verse 10. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? It's easy to see this is not going well. God gives Joseph this dream that his dad and his mom and his brothers are all going to bow down to him. Now, why would God, I just want you to think for a minute from his perspective, why would you set this poor kid up like this? Why would God give this poor kid, Joseph, this dream? It sounds like it only serves him. What good is that for anybody else? You're going to all bow to me, mom and dad and the kids and all of that. Everybody's going to bow to me. Here, here's what I know. This dream was God's way of communicating to Joseph that God had called him for his own purposes. Now... I believe everybody in this room, God is calling for his purposes. You may say, I, I'm, I'm not going to work at a church. I'm not going to be a pastor. doesn't matter. God needs people that works for his purposes everywhere. If we're all just in the church working there, that's not going to do it. We've got to work for his purposes everywhere. And so I believe God is calling everybody in the room this morning to his purposes. So I want to give you some thoughts about what to do with that call. You may have a dream. You may have an idea. You may have an inclination or an impulse, a spark of something in your soul that is just deeper than regular everyday living. Whatever form that communication takes, it is from God and it is for his purposes. So today I want to give you a few thoughts about the call God has given to you. If you have something to write with, I want to encourage you to jot these thoughts down. Number one, 
The call will tell you something about your future, but it will not tell you everything. The call will tell you something about your future, but it will not tell you everything. I used to think when I was younger, these dreams or inclinations or ideas or nudges or feelings, I used to think that they were all about giving you direction. The older I get, the more I think they're less about direction and more about confirmation. Let's talk about what the dream in Joseph's life didn't say. It didn't say anything about being sold into slavery by his brothers because they had to talk each other out of killing him. It didn't say anything about being falsely accused of sexual misconduct. It didn't say anything about 11 years of prison. The dream didn't say anything about any of that. The dream told him what was going to happen But it did not tell him why, it did not tell him when, it did not tell him how, and it did not tell him where. Come to think of it, the dream told him less than than anything else. Now, probably a hundred times in my years of ministry, somebody's come to me and said, hey, God gave me this dream, or God gave me this idea, or God gave me this thought, and if I'm honest with you, about 99 out of those 100 times, I, they, they've told me. This is what, and it sounds to me a lot like this. Hey, there's these sheaves, and this is going to bow down, and the sun and moon. And I look and I think, ah, don't know what to do with that. And then they look at me and ask the $25,000 question, what do you think I should do? And I make up the best answer I can find at the time. <laughs> Because the truth is, I got no idea. I don't have no idea what you should do. But, more than anything, I think these moments of calling are God's way of telling you that He's with you. And He wants you to follow Him. It doesn't tell you everything, but it tells you just enough so you know He hadn't left you. He's with you. He's still moving you. He's still involved. He's still, he's still making a way. Now, here's, that leads right to number two. It's not your responsibility to make the call happen. Everybody excel and go, thank God. It's not your responsibility to make the call happen. Read Joseph's entire life story. Joseph is the dominant character in the entire book of Genesis. More chapters of the book of Genesis are about Joseph's life than any other character's life. Read the whole story if you want to, and you'll never find one moment where Joseph is trying to engineer the call. He's trying to bring it to pass. Where Joseph says, hey, wait a minute. My brothers and my mom and dad are going to bow down to me and I'm stuck here in prison. I'm going to break out. i got to make this happen. Things are moving too slow. Not one time will you ever find... It, it, it actually happens as a surprise to him. It's not like he went off to school to prepare for this one. I mean, how do you do that? What's your degree going to be in? Mom, dad, and brothers bowing down to me? You got a major for that? Just here to enroll? Is there an online course I can take? How do you prepare for that? He never planned to be sold into slavery. He never planned to sit in prison for 11 years. Through a very unlikely path, but by God's providence, Joseph is being moved a step at a time toward God's purposes for his life. It's God's responsibility to make the call happen. It's your responsibility to follow God. Not the picture 
or the dream. It's your responsibility to follow God. And God will make the picture and the dream happen. When uh, Stacy and I were youth pastoring in Florida, uh, the pastor that hired us was there for uh, several years as youth pastor. And he was there, and he followed a pastor who had been there 29 years. And he became the pastor right after that, and about a year after he became the pastor, he hired us, and we went there, and, and I watched behind the scenes how complicated it was for a pastor to take a pastor's place who had been in one place for a long time. And I said, I don't ever want to do that. I'm glad he did it, and I feel bad for him, but I'm out. Here's what I think I'm going to do. I think I'm going to go plant a church. I'm honest. That was the number one motivation. I don't want to deal with none of that. I'm going to go plant a church because nobody's there but sinners. And, like, they don't have any memory of the last pastor because they're like, ain't none. So I'll be the first one, and that will fix it all. Well, then uh, God opened the door and called us to go to a church in Mississippi where the pastor had been in relationship and had pastored most of the last 40 years with the same group of people, and then I took his place. (laughs) Okay. And then, seven years ago, Pastor Ron Cox, that was here for 35 years, I came and took his place. And I said, okay, God. Now, I just want you to know, although God gave me very clear pictures of my call, I could never have arranged it. I could not have forced it. I could have never made it happen. Follow God and He will fulfill your call because it's His job to fulfill it, not yours. I didn't see all that coming. But thank God He did. Number three. It it is your responsibility. (laughs) That's not your responsibility. It is your responsibility to use your strengths for God's purposes. Whether Joseph was in prison or whether Joseph was in the palace and he spent some time in both, he used his strengths to serve God's purposes. Joseph has wisdom. Joseph had discernment. Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams. And some of the interpretations of the dreams that Joseph gave guided the entire nation of Egypt. Joseph was a phenomenal administrator. When Joseph was put in prison, he he was so good, he would always rise to the top. Wherever you put him, he would serve using his strengths. And next thing you know, Joseph's in charge of the prison. How'd that happen? A couple years he's in there, he's serving, he's, he's administrating, he's organizing, he's doing things the right way. Now he's the head of the prison. Then he goes to Pharaoh's house and he's serving. Next thing you know, boom, he's second in the land of Egypt and he's not even Egyptian. Because he was using the strengths that God gave him. Now the Bible tells us promotion comes from the Lord. So when you use your strengths for God, for God's purposes... He will make sure you fulfill the calling he's given you. How do you use your strengths for God's purposes? Well, first, got to know what your strengths are. It's very discouraging to me when I go to the bookstore and if you wheel down the self-help aisle, because almost everything written has one thing in common. It's all about how to help you overcome your weaknesses. 
How to be the person you always wanted to be. How to get the job you always wanted to get. You know, how to not be so relationally, you know, introverted. How to, how to meet friends. How to influence people. How to overcome. How to break out. How to break out of the diet you always wanted. How to, how to all this stuff. How, how to attack your weaknesses and get better at your weaknesses. Look, here's the thing, though. I want a book about how to find your strengths. How to find what you're good at. How to spend your life doing what God made you to do. He is the creator. He's the one that threw those hundred million stars and solar systems up there. He designed you. He created you. He made you. He knows what you're best at, and he'll help you find it. And you won't even live most of your life in your weaknesses. You'll live most of your life in your strengths. Because that's what God wants you to do. That's what he called you to do. So if you use your strengths for God's purposes... You'll fulfill the call. I have been a Christian over 30 years, and I have served in the local church almost that long. And I can tell you, after three decades, I've come to a couple of conclusions that I think fit Joseph's life relevantly, and I think fit this idea that only God calls us. There are two things that are absolutely impossible to happen if you're not serving God's purposes. Number one, you will never fulfill the call God has given you if you're not serving God's purposes. It's impossible. Here's the second thing. You will never arrive or grow in spiritual maturity if you're not serving God's purposes. Because here, here's why. Because when you mobilize and start to serve, first off, the devil's not going to fight anybody that's on the bench. So you don't got much spiritual warfare going on. Secondly, when you mobilize and activate and you start to serve God's purposes and advance the kingdom forward, you're going to get in there and you're going to learn a lot of things. You're going to learn that people rub you the wrong way. And you're going to learn that some of them rub you the wrong way. And you're going to have some conflict. And you're going to learn that you had weaknesses you didn't know about. I don't mean weaknesses like we were talking about before in strength. I mean weakness in character. You got some Christian weaknesses in your soul you didn't know about. But you get all up in there and some little some conflict and some direction and some misunderstanding and all that. And all of a sudden now, God has an opportunity to reach down in a place in your soul he had no doorway into before. And he can do some deeper work he couldn't do. A lot of times we call this marriage. Uh-oh. You ever heard the old cliche? God didn't give you marriage to make you happy. He gave it to you to make you holy. Can I tell you something, though? There's no greater place to be on earth than holy. Holy is wholeness. There's no greater peace. There's no greater fulfillment. There's no greater joy than to be in that place that God is working on you. We, we get sucked into it because we think God wants to do something incredible through us, and he does, but more than that, he wants to do something incredible in us. But he can't do it when we're parked on the sideline because we shut him out. Today is an incredible day at Kingwood Church. 26 people 
have j- are finishing right now as we're having this service, are finishing live streams. A couple minutes, we're going to join them for lunch and celebrate their four-week achievement of finishing live streams. I want to encourage you, if you've never done live streams before, we have four classes that we've kind of narrowed down. Here's the four things every Christian needs to know and needs to know how to do. It will help you find God's purpose for your life. It will help you activate toward it. You ever heard the old phrase, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called? That's absolutely true. He equips the called. And I think he calls everybody. If you've never done those, you have one opportunity left in 2016. 101 starts next Sunday. You can go to kingwoodchurch.com. You can sign, hit the grow button. You can sign up for live streams. I would love, I teach half of the first class. I would love to meet you there next Sunday. If you're ready to take the journey, jump in and, and get moving. Number four, the call will look different at the end than it did at the beginning. Think with me for a minute. Joseph was 17 years old. There's part of him that had to be saying, that had to be thinking, of course, of course God would give me this dream because my brothers are jerks. Of course he would give it to me. It makes sense. Finally, God, they've been bullies and they've been picking on me. When I was a kid, they would pick on me. When I was a baby, they'd pick on me. Finally, God's going to justify all this. He's going to pay them jerks back for what they deserve. And he's even going to bring my mom and dad make them bow down too. So everybody will know it was God. Had to be part. Have you ever been 17? There had to be part of it that went something like that. But when the day comes... The coat of many colors is long gone. And God has honed Joseph's skill and character in prison. And now he's the prince of Egypt. And here his family is bowing down before him. Just like the dream said. Joseph remembers the dream. He didn't know when. He didn't know how. He didn't know where. But now the moment has come. And although this is what the dream said... It looks different through the eyes of a man who's been weathered by years of slavery and serving. Genesis 45, 4 tells us what happened. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, here's the thing you need to know. One thing that was never clear from the beginning. It was clear they would bow down. It was not clear why. Joseph had now learned the purpose of the dream and the purpose of his life. He was sent to serve. 
His entire family was in a famine and God used Joseph to give his family the food that they needed. This scene is an exact parallel to the scene in the New Testament where Jesus is sitting with his disciples and Jesus has all authority, he has all power, he has the ability to judge, he has the ability to crush, he has the ability to execute, he has the ability to, to deliver himself, he has the ability to unleash the greatest greatest wrath on the world that the world has ever seen. And what does God do in Jesus' body? He takes a towel and he takes a water basin and he dips it in water and he takes all of that authority and all of that power and he walks over to each disciple one at a time and he washes their feet and he serves them. And this is exactly what Joseph did. He's the prince of Egypt. He's the second in command. He has all authority. He has all power. He has the legal right to decapitate every one of his brothers and pay them back for what they've done. But what does he do? He takes all of that authority and he takes all of that power and he serves. Jesus defined greatness as using your strengths for God's purposes. Joseph is not great because he's second in command. Joseph is not great because he's powerful. Joseph is great because he is serving God's purposes. That's what makes him great. Now here's the last thought. We'll tie it all together. Number five, your call is the solution to someone else's problem. As it turns out, Joseph's dream had nothing to do with him being the favorite son. It was about Joseph becoming as much like God as he could, and it was about sustaining Joseph's family and preserving, watch this, the bloodline of Jesus. Joseph's family was Jesus' ancestors. If they starved to death, how's Jesus going to get on earth? It's so important that you find God's purposes for your life. Because it's not just about you. It's not just about now. It's about you and your kids and your grandkids and generations to come. Things are changed dramatically on earth when we find God's purposes. Because His purposes are from beginning to end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. They are eternal. Back in August when we were doing the series, Made for More, one of the messages we talked kind of about a similar thing. And a man came to me after service and he said, um, I want to talk to you. He said, I'm, I'm not from here. I live in another state. But I was just here visiting my family and I came to church this morning. And I just wanted you to know I was so stirred today in the service. I said, well, tell, tell me about that. He said, I was so stirred because I, 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 I used to be a board member at my church and I used to serve and he used to do this and and he said I, I, I pulled away from everything and he said I'm retired and I have all this time and so I don't know what to do so I bought an RV and I've just been traveling around and the truth is it's just a cover it's just a front to keep myself busy because I really don't know what to do but I know God wants me to do something great and I'm just so stirred up today would you just pray for me 
because I don't want to waste any more of my life. Wow. I don't want to waste any more of my life. Just, just pray for me. I believe God calls everybody. I just think the closer we are to Him, the better we can hear it. That song we sang, Good, Good Father, why, why does He call us? Because He's good. It's not a trap. It's not, a, it's not like that. He's good. He calls us for His purposes, which are good. And last so much longer than the sports accolades or the business accolades or the things that we strive after on this earth. They're all temporary. They're all like sand through our hands. They're going to go away. He calls us for His purposes because they are eternal, because they last. He says, store up riches for yourself in heaven where a thief can't break in and take it and a moth can't take in and deteriorate it and it'll never rust and it'll never corrode and it'll never deteriorate and it'll never go away. Eternity is what He calls us for. Would you, would you stand with me? And I want to ask our prayer team to come. And would you just find a place you can just be still and close your eyes? I, I just ask you to close your eyes. I think, I think sometimes when we, we close our eyes, we hear better. And we prayed this morning during worship, Lord, help me to hear you. I want to hear you today. So I just want to ask you a couple simple questions for prayer, and then, and then we'll, we're going to leave. Today, I know that God is calling, but I can't call you, and you can't call you, and this church can't call you, and, and no group can call you. Only God can call you. Only God can call you. So the question I have for you this morning, can you hear God calling you? Do you hear God calling you to something deeper? Now, that's the key question because even if you're not a Christian, it doesn't mean you can't hear, maybe you can hear God calling you to something deeper. Maybe He's calling you to forgiveness. Maybe He's calling you to relationship with Him. And if that's you, man, we, I want to pray with you so bad before you leave today. Maybe you're here and, and you've been a Christian a long time, but you say, God's calling me to something deeper. Maybe you've been serving in the same spot for a long time. You say, God's, God's calling me to something. There's something more He's calling. You don't even have to be able to define it. Joseph had no idea what the dream meant most of his life. All he knew was that God was behind it. And he followed him. So here's the question. Is God calling you to something deeper this morning? If the answer is yes, I just want you to lift your hand and say, God's calling me to something deeper. I need prayer this morning. Would you just lift your hand? Say, God's calling me to something. I see your hand. Yep, yep. Two, three in the middle. Yep. Yes, in the middle. I see it. Yeah. God's calling me to something deeper. Something deeper. You don't even have to be able to explain it. You probably can't. But you know in your soul something's stirring. 
I'm going to wait just, to, just about 10, 15 more seconds. Yeah, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. God's calling me in the back. Yeah, I see it. Just a few more seconds. God's calling me to something deeper. I can feel it. I can sense it. I don't know what it is. But man, there's a stirring inside me. Yeah, I see your hand. Thank you. In the balcony, I'm looking around. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. You put it right back down. Thank you. Yeah. Very important moment. Last thing. If you say, today I need wisdom. Today I need discernment. Today I need direction. I'm in some circumstances that I don't really know what to do now or next. And I just need God to help me know what do I do? Do I wait? Do I go? Do I start? Do I stop? What do I do? I'm, I'm, I, need to, I need to make a decision. Would you just lift your hand and say, hey, I need prayer today. I need to know what God's purposes are in this, in this decision, in this confusion. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Just lift it up. Yeah. Yes, in the back. Thanks. Yeah. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you today, and I want you to have prayer today. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you if you lifted your hand, or even if you didn't, but you know God's calling, or you need God this morning to give you wisdom or discernment. I want you to come and let someone on the prayer team pray with you. You're not signing up for anything. You're not joining anything. This is a safe place. You can just say, hey, God's stirring. Would you pray with me? I don't understand this, but I can tell you what I believe. When Christians get together and pray about something, like those five guys that prayed by that stack of hay, something starts to change. Something starts to change. And when you bring your need to prayer, something's going to change. Something supernatural is going to begin to happen. So what I want you to do is I want you to come right now and find one of our prayer team. If you lifted your hand for any of those reasons or if you didn't, I want you to come right now and say, would you just agree with me? Would you pray with me? I feel God calling me to something deeper. I don't really know what it is. I need wisdom for a decision. And we have hands all over the room. Come on this morning. Come on. Come on. We just want to pray with you. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to do anything weird. We just want to pray with you. That's all. It's a big step of faith. I know it is. But come now on the balcony. Come on. Come on. We just want to pray with you. Come on. Let's take this thing to Jesus. Let's take this thing to God. That's where the answers are. That's where the solution is. That's where things start to change. That's where His work intensifies. That's where His presence increases in our life. Our understanding moves. Our peace, our joy rises. We lay those things down at His feet. We say, God, only you, only you have the answer. Only you can call me. And you're calling me.